Our scripture reading today is from Philippians 2, 1-11. Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did consider equality with God something did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. We are all hardwired with it at birth, all of us, no exceptions. And it's so natural, yet at the same time, so destructive. It's not an outside enemy that attacks us. It's inside. But what makes it more complicated is is it's a necessary evil. A necessary evil that is essential to our own internal disposition. And though it's dangerous, it is absolutely necessary. Because without it, we can't survive. But with it, we carry the seeds of our own destruction and our own misery. And we're harmful to ourselves and to others. We are one and at the same time completely unaware of it and thoroughly overwhelmed by its presence. It is the most basic of all realities. It is the self. Or Sigmund Freud famously said, the id. When it's managed well, it is absolutely delightful. But when it's mismanaged, it's obnoxious, It's toxic, it's repulsive to others, 
And sometimes it's even repulsive to self. Paul describes self gone bad with these words. Vain ambitions and conceit. The opposite of self-ambition, vain ambitions, and conceit, what's the opposite of it? Well, humility. Or let's put it this way, in a more active way. Service, humble service to others. Paul admonishes us in this passage to live right side up in an upside down world. If Paul were here today, I'm quite convinced that he would say something like this. Brothers and sisters in Christ, your world elevates pride, power, personal wealth, never admitting you're wrong, and doing whatever it takes to win. He would say, brothers and sisters, that's your world. And I'm challenging you as a Christian to live in that world right side up, even though it seems like humility is upside down. Why is selfish ambition and vain conceit so dangerous? That could be a very long discussion, couldn't it? But let's just consider three things that are dangerous about vain conceit and selfish ambition. The first is this. Vain conceit and selfish ambition, selfishness itself, it destroys relationships. You know as well as I do that friendships are based on, well, you might call it mutual giving. Friendships, the expectation is that you give and I give and we give to one another. But there's something so selfish and so insidious about the id, the self, that we can even take the reality of friendship and mess it up. You know why? Because self is motivated towards friendship because of self. Think about it. What is it that you long for the most in friendship? It's self-satisfaction. It's the presence of the other. It's the way in which the other gratifies you and me. So even the motivation towards a wonderful thing called friendship has an insidious self-centeredness to it. And so how can that self-centeredness destroy friendship? A whole variety of ways. But one of the main ways it can destroy friendship is because our self demands of the other what our self wants and expects somehow that the object of our love will somehow completely satisfy us. 
That, that's destructive to any kind of a friendship. It's destructive to any kind of a relationship. But let me launch out a bit and suggest something. It's even destructive to marriages. We're supposed to be one in Christ as a married couple. We understand that, right? But when we are so one together that I do everything I can to extract my happiness from you, the person that is in the relationship with me does not have the capacity to completely satisfy my deep longings. And so I can destroy the very love of my life with the selfish motivation of wanting to be with the love of my life. You you might think to yourself, wow, Bob, you're going dark. (laughs) I, I am on purpose. Because you know it's true. That's the nature of self. When you ask too much from a friend, from a spouse, it's unhealthy. They can't give everything to you and satisfy all your needs. It not only destroys relationships, self, it destroys churches. And of course, that was Paul's primary point when he wrote to those people in Philippi. Churches are established, among other things, apart from the main thing, allegiance to Christ, they're established for mutual support. Churches are called together for a common good, to follow Christ. But you see, the insidious nature of self can somehow put us at the center even of religious activity. We can become so consumed by self that we hijack what is righteous and holy and good. You remember Paul understood that well and gave us an account of it. Actually, in Philippians, just before he wrote the words concerning humility. He said, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, he's in prison, has served to advance the gospel. That's the great news. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in change for Christ. All this bad luck, so to speak, is good for the kingdom. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. All of that is wonderful news. And then he inserts this. It is true, however. Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Some take the ultimate example of humility and turn it into a self-centered, prideful agenda. Some do that, he says. But others, out of goodwill, the latter do so out of love, 
knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel, the former preached Christ out of, here's the word, selfish ambition. Preaching Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Paul said, the self is so insidious, insidious, it can take the gospel captive. So, first of all, self is so dangerous because it can destroy relationships. Second, self is so dangerous because it can destroy churches. And third, self is so dangerous because ultimately it destroys you. It destroys the self. There's nothing wrong, you understand, with self, so to speak. Self is necessary. It's the foundation of our reality. Self is is so characteristic of the human condition that it's inseparable from the human condition. And some people are self-flagellating. That's not good. However, the seeds of self-destruction are in self-love. That's the problem. Preoccupied with self and self-ambition, it's like a cancer to the soul. It's not like a foreign object. It destroys from the inside out. So let's get real practical for just one moment. And I mean just one moment. If you don't want to be destroyed by self, ask yourself this introspective question. How much time, it's hard, it's hard, hard to answer. You might have to write it down all day. How much time do I spend thinking about myself compared to thinking about others? Just, just think for a minute about last week. And try to be honest with yourself. How much time did you spend thinking about self? Thinking about your needs. Thinking about your lack of comfort. Thinking about your lack of a fulfilling job. Thinking about the lack of friends or relationships. Thinking, just thinking about self. How much time did you spend thinking about self compared to thinking about others? That's why self is so insidious. And that's why Paul says, don't. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. It's destructive. It might seem natural. It might seem like what you're made for, but don't. Please don't. What's the opposite, says Paul? Well, the opposite is humility. Humility. He says, I want you to consider others better than yourselves. Now, there's a variety of ways of translating that. I actually liked the translation this morning uh, better than almost any because it said this, value others over yourself, right? Because consider others better than yourselves sounds like you're saying, 
or Paul saying to you, I want you to pretend like you're not as good as the next person. Have you ever seen the kind of pretentious humility that suggests that the other person is always better than you are? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's foolish. Oh, no, no, you're a better athlete. Are you kidding me? Everybody's got eyes. They know you're better than him. Oh, no, you're a better this. You're a better that. It, it's kind of like a person looking at you when you're 5'8 and saying, oh, no, you're taller than me, even though I'm 6'3. Seriously? That's a form of false humility. And you can see that kind of humility in the church a lot of times. It's just, it's obnoxious. Paul doesn't say, pretend like you're not as good at someone else's job as they are. He doesn't say, pretend like you have a lower status than they do. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, consider others more important than you. That would mean, consider the other who has a less, a a more lowly position, a more lowly status, a person who is not as good-looking, a person who is not as smart, a person who's not as athletic, a person who's not as whatever. Consider their interests before you consider your own. That's what he means. Put the other ahead of you. And he gave, Jesus gave the ultimate example of that. When he said to his disciples, you call me teacher, master, Lord. And then what did he say? Oh, I'm not really your teacher, your master, or your... Of course he didn't say that. He said, as your teacher, your master, your Lord. As that, being my reality, being who I am, being the one over you and authority over you, being God in the flesh as that person, I stoop now and wash your feet. I use all my power and all my authority to serve you. That's what Paul is calling us to. He's not calling us to be silly about position. He's calling us to use every bit of the position we have to serve others. Christ's example is the perfect example. How about this for a question? Those of you who really know the life of Jesus very well, you can answer this quickly. Those of you who don't, study the life of Jesus a little bit more and see if you can come up with the answer. When can you ever remember a time? When can you ever think of a time that Jesus used his power, his authority, his position for self? Can you ever think of a time? Can you ever think of a time where the sovereign Lord of all creation with every bit of power in his hand ever did anything selfishly? Ever spoke like he was all that? Ever bragged about anything he did? 
ever rolled out a litany of his own successes? Did he ever do it? Never. And look around you at your world and ask whether or not the most powerful people in your world reflect in any measure that reality. And then before you become pretentious, ask whether or not you reflect that reality. I want you to live right side up, says Paul. I want you to be like Jesus. I want you to put others first. I want you to use every bit of your influence, your power, your authority for others. What does that look like for us? I mean today, right now. Well, in a way, I, I want to revert back to the title. You know what it looks like? It looks like power. Why, why do I even mix up the term power and humility? It seems antithetical, right? Here's why it's powerful. Because God and Jesus Christ changed the world with it. Here's why it's powerful. Because if we walk and follow Jesus, we will change our world with it. When we become what Jesus was, our world will change. And that's powerful. Can you think of changing the world any other way? Or I should say, in a better way? So, a couple of inventory questions for us. What if you gained wealth for the exclusive purpose of giving it away? What if you gained wealth so you could serve others? What if you gained wealth not for yourself but for others? What would that look like? I mean, some people may ask what happened to you, right? What if you used all your power and your influence for others instead of yourself? What if you use your position, whatever position you have, without being concerned for yourself? Maybe, just maybe, if we were able to do that, maybe we would understand the saying of Jesus a little better. That when you lose yourself, you actually find yourself for my sake and the gospel. My son um, is now a professor of film studies. He spent a good bit of time in Los Angeles and the Hollywood area and was intrigued by film and still is. And uh, on occasion, he'll talk to me about acting and what theories on acting are like and what makes for a good actor and what particular principles there are for particular kinds of theories of acting. And as I thought about that this week, I thought about 
this. I don't want to degrade it by bringing Hollywood into the Bible. <laughs> but I want to try to make an analogy and stay with me and try to connect the dots. If this goes bad, I'm not going to use it in the second service, but you have to listen to it. <laughs> There's a uh, Scottish <clears throat> professor called a senior acting coach. His name is Mark Westbrook. And he said of acting, I believe there are two kinds of acting. What I would like to call virtuoso performing and invisible acting. Virtuoso performing is a type of acting that draws attention to self. It is self-consciously performing. Self-consciously performing. And the audience are aware of and marvel at the virtuosity of the performer. In other words, the acting isn't hidden. We see the performance for what it is. And we appreciate the skill required to put on such an act or performance. By contrast, he suggests there's another kind of acting, invisible acting. Invisible acting draws no attention to itself. There is no attempt at having the audience be aware of the skill of the performer. There is no performer. The audience sees only a man or a woman a boy or a girl, behavior consistently with the truth of the moment and the fiction of the imaginary circumstances. We marvel at invisible acting when we cannot see the strings, cannot see the performance. We see the actor and fully accept them as the character that they represent. Sometimes we barely even notice them in the show or the film. They don't draw attention to themselves. They're virtually invisible. I want to suggest something as a practical way to walk out the door. If we walk out of this place trying to focus on humility, trying to be humble, we'll be virtuoso actors. We'll be playing a role. But if we walk out of here watching, listening to Jesus and simply doing our best to imitate our Lord. Maybe, just maybe, that'll be invisible acting. Maybe instead of it being about us, it will be about him. So here's the suggestion.
Let's not walk out thinking about ourselves at all. Let's walk out thinking about Jesus. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we have been privileged with your word, which gives us beautiful examples. Not just words or teachings, but beautiful examples of what it means to be the people of God. And of course, the ultimate example of what it means to be the image of God as the people of the church is the person of Jesus Christ. So we pray, Lord, instead of us trying to be humble, instead of us trying to be good, instead of us exerting self in order to hide self, what an irony that would be and is. Help us, Lord, instead to look to you. And like that child that we once were when we imitated our mother or our father, in a really unpretentious way, and we lost ourselves in our love for our parents. We pray, Lord, you help us to lose ourselves in our love for Christ. And as we lose ourselves in our love for Christ, we will find the inner self that you have created by your grace. And we'll thank you for that. In the name of Christ, our risen Lord, we pray. Amen.